but everything he says is true. It all is what the Holy Spirit would uh, give a thumbs up to, that these are truths from God spoken by another man of God. So Job's friends were also men of God. Sometimes Job's friends get a bad rap that they were too hard on Job, and they're worth some things of that. But they also were godly men as well. And so Elihu is doing the speaking here, and uh, he's giving us these truths about God, but also these truths about nature, which reveal God's power. Now, Job was his friend. Of course, uh, Job had lost everything. Job was uh, quite down at this time. So Elihu is doing his best to say, hey, when you look at the power of God, it should remind you that God still has you safely in his hand. We believe that Job was a contemporary of Abraham. So you've all heard of Abraham. We think they were alive right around the same time. If if that is indeed the case, that uh, he would have lived a little less than 4,000 years ago. Now that's significant because... um, Now, even if he didn't live that long ago, we know he lived well before the time of Christ, let's say 3,000 years ago. Um, So he lived well before Jesus came and walked the earth. If you watch things like Nat Geo, anyone like to watch these kind of channels, BBC, um, Discovery Channel, they'll tell you on a regular basis, and I like these kind of channels, so they, they say these things a lot, they'll tell you that ancient people commonly believed in God's that took the form of what we'd see as natural phenomenon, like lightning or volcanoes or mountains and storms. You've seen this, right? And this, this, the Greeks believed in this, like Zeus and Apollo. The Egyptians believed in these things. But not just them. All the many different religions, are the tribal peoples around the world. And so that is true, uh, but they'll, they'll kind of categorize that almost all the ancient world believed that way. But that's not true because Job and his friends were part of the ancient world at least three to 4,000 years ago, and they didn't believe that. Matter of fact, uh, many scientists today, they'll tell you that there is no God, right? That's the prevailing uh, thought at leading uh, universities around the world, that there's no God at all. Job and his friends, they wisely believed God created everything that we can see, everything we can hear, and the, all, all the things that we can see around us testify to the power of God. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have a record here and in other places in Scripture uh, that tell us that we are to marvel at God's power. God wants us to marvel at his power. It's a good thing. We sang, uh, how great thou art to close the service on Sunday. God wants us to wonder about these things. So if you're taking notes tonight, we're looking at uh, this Job 37. We're calling it the wonder of God. Now, I already mentioned before the slides came on, hopefully this is, I need this thing to work really good tonight. There we go. We got to there. All right. So first thing we want to look at, and we're not going to read every single verse here, but we want to look at the theme here of the wonder of God. Now, Moses, in the book of Exodus, God appeared to Moses and Israel in the form of what? A great cloud. And uh, with that cloud, God said he descended upon the mountain with thunders and lightning. This was God's visible representation in a way that people could look at him and not die. So he comes down this great cloud and thunders and lightning. And in fact, almost every time, thunder is mentioned in the scripture. So anytime you see the word thunder in scripture, look at the context around it. Almost every time thunder is mentioned, it involves God, 
It involves his power. It involves being sent by God in some way, shape, or form. When you see the word thunder, it almost always, almost every single time, I think there's one or two exceptions, it involves God, his power, or being sent from God. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Dr. Tony Evans on the radio. He has the radio program, The Urban Alternative. When I first got saved down in Fort Lauderdale, I used to love to listen to Dr. Evans and Dr. David Jeremiah and Chuck Smith and all these different guys. And so uh, uh, Dr. Evans, he grew up in Baltimore. I grew up in Annapolis. And um, he said when he was growing up, his grandmother was a strong Christian. And every time it would thunder, she would say, Hush, child, God's speaking. And there's some truth to that, because when you look in the Bible, thunder is almost always a reference back to God and his power in some way, shape, or form. Even the throne room of heaven, we look at, uh, in scriptures, uh, it shows us that the throne room of heaven, uh, we see thunder, we see lightning, we see the power of God. In Revelation 4 or 5, it says, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, seven lamps were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So God wants us to think about his power. He wants us to stand in awe of his power. He wants us to worship him. In another place in this same book of Job, Job 26, 14, you'll hear me reference this verse from time to time. It's a verse that I love because I, it, it speaks that whatever we can grasp of God is tiny compared to what he is. And that's Job 26, 14. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. How small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Because the thunder is so loud that it doesn't matter if you're inside the house, outside the house, anywhere you're going to hear it. It'll actually vibrate and shake the walls. We'll look at thunder in just a few minutes. In 1 Samuel 2.10, uh, it says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. He wants us to appreciate his power. He wants us to fear him and have him for us and not against us. Wouldn't you agree you'd rather have God for you than against you? Now, thunder is a little visual representation. Thunder actually comes directly from uh, the lightning bolt itself. We'll talk about why that is. You get a little bit of school in college here tonight, too. Not just the Word of God. You're going to get a little bit of school in college here. Now, you can see that when a lightning bolt runs this way, the sound waves are coming off the lightning bolt. And when a lightning bolt goes across the sky, you can see the, light, the thunder descends downward and upward. That makes sense? So it's sound just like, you know, if you're taking a rubber band, you hold it, and you boom, the sound waves are going to go the same uh, direction that you've kind of popped the rubber band. Thunder is pretty loud. On lightningsafety.com, you can read a lot of things about it. Uh, what happens with the reason why thunder makes the sound that you hear, that loud, uh, you know, boom, crash or crackling sound, uh, it's a sudden increase in pressure and temperature that causes this. And it uh, takes, uh, causes the surrounding air on the channel of the lightning bolt, surrounds that, uh, that surrounding air, expands violently at a rate faster than the speed of sound. It's very similar to a sonic boom. The average thunderclap is 120 decibels. That's 10 times louder than a jackhammer, right? At close range, thunder shockwaves can even cause damage. At close range, thunder has been known to uh, crack windows. It can actually pop nails out of sheetrock. 
if it's, if it's loud enough and the shock waves are strong enough, and they can be, uh, people have lost hearing from thunder, very sensitive eardrums, especially if you've got uh, allergy season and things like that. Thunder has a shockwave uh, capability as well as the sound. Yet, this is only a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of God's power. Now, thunder and lightning go hand in hand. Lightning catches our attention, doesn't it? Uh, even if, you, if you've ever experienced lightning on a bright day, it'll still have a glow quickly. I'll never forget the time uh, we were down in uh, the Charleston, South Carolina area. We were living in Charlotte, and my father-in-law, myself, and two others, we were, we were on a golf course. And it was a beautiful sunny day there in Charleston, South Carolina. And somewhere off in the distance must have been thunderstorms. We never heard them. They were off in the distance. And my father-in-law had the golf club up in the air, and a lightning bolt came across the bright sky. At least a mile, I don't know what it was, how far away it was. Lightning bolt comes across the sky. It was a bright day that became infinitely brighter in just a fraction of a second, and then a loud that made him drop the club and made all of us kind of drop. Uh, all of that happens in, a, uh, in really milliseconds. A typical lightning flash is about a quarter of a second. That's how fast it is. That's why it says Jesus will return like the flash of a lightning, it says, and faster than the blink of an eye. That brief, in that brief millisecond, in that brief millisecond, lightning heats the air channel that it passes through to 50,000 to 70,000 degrees Fahrenheit. To give you an idea how hot, that is five to seven times hotter than the surface of the sun. Now, it's not hotter than the core of the sun. That's a toasty 27 million degrees. But the surface of the sun is about 10,000 degrees. And lightning, in less than a millisecond, across the the channel of the lightning bolt itself, 50,000 to 70,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That'll heat your water pretty quick in the pot, won't it? Most of the world's lightning occurs right in that red band. If you look at the globe, you know, you have tropics of Cancer and Capricorn, you have the equator in the middle, but at the 35-degree latitude, 35-degree latitude north, 35-latitude south, which is about, in the United States, 35 latitude is almost a straight line between right through Charlotte, North Carolina. So Charlotte down to the equator, and the equator down to the next 35th latitude south. In that band is 70% of the world's lightning right there. Why? Because it's hotter, and there's more heat, and there's more energy uh, in those areas. This is, um, they're about, Do you have any idea how many lightning strikes there are every single second, kids? Every second in the world. 50 to 75 lightning strikes every single second. Every single second on planet Earth, 50 to 75 lightning strikes are hitting the Earth. Now this gives you an idea what God's trying to say about his power, doesn't it? He's not that impressed with dominion power. He's just not. He has a lot of power 
85 to 90% of lightning occurs over land. 85 to 90% of all lightning occurs over land. Why is this? Well, solar radiation heats land faster. This causes convection, and therefore the land masses get more of the lightning. Now, there's plenty of lightning on oceans, too. When you're talking about 50 to 70 stri strikes a second, there's plenty on the ocean. So when the lifeguard says, get out of the water, that is a legitimate request. Now, most pools are on land, but if you're in the ocean, it's not a good idea to stay in there either because uh, lightning will hit. And, and most of the, a lot of the lightning that you see in the ocean a lot of times is near the coastal, coastal areas as well. Lightning, how about that photo, huh? That's a, that's a city, and you can see a storm approaching. And again, it's within the 35-degree latitudes where you have the stronger storms. Lightning, due to its high voltage uh, and current, it's responsible for a lot of power outages throughout the year around the world. If lightning hits a, tele, if it's a line or a transformer box, a lot of times it'll blow it. You ever see the sparks go flying? Uh, it blows them out all the time. It strikes power lines and transformers, and the reason why it blows them out, it sends a huge amount of electricity across the grid that the grid, it overwhelms it. It's more than the grid normally can handle. Because the you know, power companies, they send power at a regulated rate, but a lightning bolt sends this huge voltage all at one time in a very erratic manner. And so you can have the transformers you know, blow up. Because of the because of the heat and energy and the intensity of lightning storms, uh, sometimes down in the tropics, this particular is in the uh, Venezuela, is in Venezuela. Things can look almost unreal. The kind of lightning storms that can that can brew in the tropics. It says in verse five that God does things which we cannot comprehend. Nobody has this kind of power but God. In 1 Corinthians, and, um, even though he does things we can't understand, so many in science don't believe in God. They can see all this. Elihu is saying, look at all these things. How can you not believe in the power of God? 1 Corinthians 3.19, Paul said, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Now that's lightning and thunder. He goes on, look at the next couple of verses. Verse 6, for he says, the snow fall on the earth, likewise, likewise the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into their dens and remain in their lairs. From the chamber of the south comes, from the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. We want to look at uh, snow, rain, and ice now. Some more observations from Elihu here. Now, don't you love a good snow? Snow can be beautiful, can it? Really can. And we know God created. We know God created the scientific parameters around snow. We know God created uh, how snow works, uh, how it's formed, what temperatures it forms at, why it appears white to our eyes, even when snow actually isn't white. Yet the scriptures tell us that God is the one that says, it says right here, he says to the snow, fall on the earth. This is God's testimony. He says, 
that the snow will fall on the earth. And it does so because he sovereignly ordained it. Now, what can you say? This is a uh, snowflake under an electron microscope. What can you say about the intellect of a god that every time a new snowflake falls, it is unique, at least at the molecular level. A lot of them will look the same to the naked eye, but at the molecular level, they're all different. And each one is different from the trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of snowflakes that have fallen before it. Can you, can you comprehend that? That every one would be... You ever seen how many snowflakes must be on one glacier? The first poem I ever wrote was back in 2000 because I was sitting on a windowsill at a restaurant in West Virginia on a business trip, and I saw these snowflakes land on the windowsill, like five of them side by side, and it was so cold that they, they just sat there, and I could see their design and everything. And it just amazed me that every one would be different. Only a God as powerful as our God can do this. And all the smarty-pants scientists <laughs> that think nature just continues to randomly create these, these magnificent tiny pieces of art, that's what they really are. They're magnificent tiny little pieces of art. It's not only amazing... And it's not only beautiful, it's not only artistic, but snow can bring a whole lot of smiles. This is what kids, this is how kids respond to snow. A, they like snow, and B, they think they're getting out of school, so it really puts a big smile on their face. This is how adults respond to snow. (laughs) Now, when God sends snow, each little snowflake only weighs 0.02 0.02 grams. Each snowflake weighs 0.02 grams. A Hershey Kiss weighs 4.7 grams. So you, you need a lot of snowflakes to make up one little Hershey Kiss. And each individual snowflake is so light, they feel to us to be weightless. One little snowflake on your finger would feel weightless. You wouldn't feel any difference between... You would actually feel its texture, right, when it touches your nose. You can feel the texture, but you can feel movement of wind too, right? But its actual weight will feel weightless to us. But bundled in the multiplied millions upon millions upon millions in a storm, snow can be downright frightening and wreak havoc. Take a look at this picture from just a couple of years ago. That was an advancing blizzard on Buffalo, New York in November of 2014. That was taken from a commercial airplane That's the advancing blizzard. There's Buffalo about to get hammered. It didn't know how bad it was going to get hammered. On that November day, and actually the next three days, it dumped a year's worth of snow in three days. Five and a half feet the first day. These seemingly weightless snowflakes smashed in people's doors. You can see that's somebody's car. That's their, they started to scrape out the driver's side window there. The car is so encased, it looks like a giant igloo. All of this seemingly weightless snow has an incredible amount of weight when it all comes together, doesn't it? Then you have, if you were on the interstate highway... Tractor trailers and cars were stopped dead in their tracks. They could not even move. When snow is falling this fast, you can't even move. All of a sudden, it just takes your car and grinds it to a halt. And that's what people, many people, 
Hundreds of people were trapped on the interstate, couldn't get off because it was falling so fast. It was a complete whiteout. You couldn't even see in front of you. All you could do was stop. So although snow is beautiful and can be fun, it's also very powerful, isn't it? And reflects God's power. Then we see rain here in the text. He says, uh, likewise, the gentle rain, the heavy rain of his strength. The first first mention here is this gentle rain. This gentle rain, this is the kind that birds like. They sit out there and just tweet like crazy in a gentle rain. Um, The flowers like it. Your flowers will enjoy a gentle rain. We like reading, any of you like reading a book on a gentle rain, like on the front porch or just sitting there and just letting it kind of fall? It's like those little things you buy at Brookstone that sound like fake rain, you know, but you get the real thing. So a gentle rain is nice. But then there's the heavy rains, and they can come out of nowhere, can't they? And they can render your umbrella almost completely useless. Matter of fact, not almost completely useless, in some cases, completely useless. A couple of times where umbrellas just aren't helping. I saw one funny picture. There was a a guy uh, walking through a flood up to here still holding an umbrella. I don't know why that would be the case. but... But if the heavy rains keep falling, they can become catastrophic, can't they? They can become deadly and dangerous. Flash floods and flood damage like we've seen this year in Texas. The Houston area has had a ton of it this year. Louisiana, if you've been watching the news, um, thousands of people displaced. West Virginia, just to the north of us, you know, hundreds and thousands also displaced there. Homes completely destroyed. That's actually a picture of the floods that were in West Virginia just a couple of months ago. Rain in various forms. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, he seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into their dens and remain in their lairs. I argue that oftentimes animals are a lot smarter than people. When God starts to send something, the animals always respond accordingly. They get out of dodge. Human beings, I got my 12-pack, I'm going to wait for the hurricane to come through. You know, whatever it is. They're not as smart as animals sometimes. But he will stop everyone's plans, won't he? You know, God's stopped a lot of sporting events to driving rain. Even weddings have had to be canceled. Events have had, you know, he can alter anything. A drop of rain, not so much power, but if God sends it in great volume, there's great power, isn't there? Then there's ice. He talks about ice here. He says, uh, the breath of, uh, by the breath of God, ice is given. We'll come back to the whirlwind. He says, um, up in verse 9 there. We'll come back to that. Uh, These are actually ice crystals, just like we saw the snowflake under a microscope. This is an ice crystal. So if you took like a sheet of ice, like a pond, and you just put it under a microscope, you'll see all these little ice crystals. Um, We see here that it's God that sends the cold winds. The breath of God. Now, when Elihu says the breath of God freezes everything, uh, another way to look at that term is the word of God. The command of God. Does that make sense? So it's not so much to God doing that to the Arctics, although he certainly could. It's just simply, whenever the breath of God does something, he says, let there be light, and there was light. As his voice speaks, it happens. He says, let there be ice, there's ice. Let there be snowfall, there's snowfall. 
Unlike you and I, we have to do something. God just speaks it and it happens. That's his power. So by the breath of God, ice is created. God's the one that invented it, created it. It's God that makes everything frozen. Uh, sorry, kids. A Disney princess does not make things frozen. Now, kids, kids do like ice a lot, and ice can be a lot of fun. Adults, they don't like ice near as much. It's definitely not fun to drive on. Ice is probably the worst thing you can possibly drive on, worse than snow. Ice is the worst. So adults don't like ice near as much as kids do. Now, when ice falls out of the sky in the form of hail, it can seem pretty cool and fun to watch. Wow, there's hail. It's really neat. But when hail gets too big, it's not fun either. Uh, It can do a lot of uh, damage. It's not real fun to your car when hailstorms can get rather large. Uh, I was looking at one photo where hail in Iowa it just ripped the side of a house to shreds. I mean, you would think uh, you would think it was literally in a Middle East war zone or something. It just just obliterated. In Exodus nine thirty three, it says, "So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased. God sent hail on Egypt as one of the plagues, and it just." tore their crops to nothing, completely obliterated them. So hail can be powerful. Now God, his power can easily freeze. It says, uh, and the broad waters are frozen, verse 10. He can easily freeze the broad waters like this is a lake. God can easily send the kind of cold temperature to freeze an entire lake. Not just lakes, even the oceans. We see in the Arctic regions, uh, these two guys don't mind frozen ocean at all, do they? Polar bears like that kind of environment. So God can freeze any of the waters of the world. He can turn it into ice with his great power. Then Elihu, now he turns to clouds, wind, and sky. Clouds, wind, and sky. Verses 11 through 21. I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to read just verse 11, 12, and 13. He says, also with the moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them. On the whole face of the earth, he causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. I mentioned clouds on Sunday. Uh, one of my favorite verses is Job 35.5. Look up the clouds and see they are higher than you. I, I quote it to myself a lot. I love to look up and be reminded that God is in control, and Job 35.5 is a great passage to memorize, and just uh, anytime you do that, it'll kind of recenter your thinking on the Lord. I took this picture, this is from the airplane window, I took this picture when we were approaching Guatemala. So my wife and I were sitting uh, there, and I snapped this shot, and the reason I took the picture, I've flown a lot over the years. But the reason I took this picture is it really struck me on this particular trip that if Jesus came back while we were on the airplane, we literally would have stepped off the plane onto the clouds. If Jesus had come back while we were in the air, with the rapture of the church, we literally would have stepped off the plane right on clouds, standing on clouds. Isn't that amazing, kids? Jesus says, 
We will meet him in the clouds. Not Superman, Batman can't do any of this stuff, really. They're they're just make-believe. This is the real deal. See, it's not a big thing for Jesus to stand on the clouds. He's the creator of the clouds. He's the creator of the laws. The lawgiver is over the law. He defies the laws of science. The giver of scientific laws, he's greater than those same laws. And someday, we'll join him in defying the laws of science. If we meet him in the clouds, if he comes back in our lifetime, we meet him in the clouds, we will see a similar thing that Peter saw when Peter walked on water. No one else can do that, right? That's not scientifically possible. But Peter walked on water because Jesus can walk on water. And so Jesus said, if I can walk on water, I can let you walk over to me. And so when we meet him in the clouds, he will be giving us a measure of that power or will be undergirded by his power, however that works. Now the disciples, they were amazed that Jesus had the power over wind and waves, weren't they? It says this in several places. In Matthew 8, 27, it says, speaking of the disciples, says, the men marveled, and this is what they said, who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? That Jesus could speak to the wind, and he'd say, peace be still, storm stopped. He could walk on water. He could turn water into wine. Anything with water he could do. He never froze it for whatever reason, but certainly he could do that too. But they saw his awesome power, and they would later have no trouble believing that they would someday meet him in the clouds. They had seen him walk on water. They would seen him do these things. They had no trouble believing that when he said, I'll meet you in the clouds, that they knew that was true. Now, like thunder, clouds in Scripture, are frequently used to reference God, his power, his holiness, or his presence. Notice how many times, now when you start to read, every time you see the word thunder, look at the context, you'll see it's almost always related to God and his power or him sending forth power. When you see clouds, most of the time, it's referencing, again, God, his presence, his holiness, something related to his power. Clouds can be really awesome. These cumulus thunderstorms, they can reach heights of 70,000 feet. Now, planes, commercial planes travel around 33,000 feet, so they're way higher than the commercial airliners fly, 70,000 feet up. Now, they don't all get that tall, but they can get that tall, especially in the, um, in the equatorial areas where it's really hot and the water just evaporates at a, at a fast rate. Um, according to verse 16, look down at verse 16. Elihu asked, do you know how the clouds are balanced? That's a really good question. Because an, an average cumulus cloud weighs 1.1 million pounds, and yet it sits up there and doesn't drop and fall. There's a lot of things scientists haven't figured out yet, by the way. Don't let, you, don't let, don't let them think that all the guys at Cambridge and Harvard have figured it all out. They only know a tiny bit, a tiny percentage. I think it's less than, might be less, I, don't give me, I know it's way less than 10%. It could be less than 1% of the ocean has even been explored. Tiny, tiny amount. So how the clouds sit up there, we have some knowledge of it, but how God balances them is really more of his power. Now, who doesn't? think this is an incredible picture. 
This is, uh, I think, one of those images. This was last year in Sydney, Australia. God is regularly placing signs in the heavens, even in our lifetime. Clouds like this one, they're a reminder that God rules the heavens with great power. Some pictures that very similar to this were in the Outer Banks uh, earlier this summer. That, uh, clouds that looked very, very similar to these. Uh, they made it into the Washington Post and other publications because they were so uh, amazing. But these are, again, reminders, or at least they should be, to all of us of God's power. Now, verse 11, it talks about the scattering of clouds, which, of course, how are scat- clouds scattered? By wind. The clouds are scattered by wind. Of course, God is behind the wind. Now, wind can be as light as a gentle breeze. Right? Who doesn't like this kind of breeze? You can all just picture for a second you're there. Now, wind can be like this little gentle breeze down in the Caribbean, enjoying the soft breeze on you. But in that same part of the world, God can crank up the wind speed, can't he? And using the world's air temperatures and currents, a very beautiful palm tree setting becomes quite different, doesn't it? Over 100-mile-an-hour winds. If it's a Category 5, it can be up to 140-mile-an-hour winds. We we were in Hurricane Andrew when I lived in Miami. I worked for Metro-Dade government at the time and got a chance to take... I took pictures for the county when I was with the communications department of cars that were sideways through the trees. They just picked up, completely thrown. The tranquil sea, even in the Caribbean, can become a raging storm of 50-plus foot waves. These are waves that actually can, and they've done it to Navy ships, put a hole right in the side of entire Navy ships. Just How does water have that kind of power that it can rip steel? But it can get the wind and the waves together have this kind of power. Psalm 107.25, again, there's many passages in Scripture that testify to God's power. We don't have time to cover them all, but Psalm 107.25, it says, For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. Now, it was on the great storms of Sea of Galilee, which they can actually have gale-force winds because it comes off the hot desert of Jordan and Syria, which is today where those countries are. And those storms, and Jesus walked right on those stormy waves, and those are the waves that he calmed. Now, this is actually ocean water. It just become really violent. Now, we can see when God takes all of these clouds, he mentions the swirling clouds of his guidance in verse 12. And he says that, uh, that, you, uh, that they cover the face of the whole earth. He also mentions the whirlwind specifically in verse 9. The whirlwind is mentioned there. And today with satellite imagery, as you see here, this is, I believe, Hurricane Floyd is this one uh, a few years back. When God stitches a bunch of clouds together in a whirlwind or a hurricane, this is the view. And indeed, we now know in our modern lifetime, it does seem to cover the face of the earth, doesn't it? Now, they didn't have that kind of imagery back then, but Elihu knew that God, he he was saying there's some kind of swirling kind of clouds that seems to cover the face of the earth. They had never gotten up above like we now have with satellite, satellite imagery, and yet the Bible was true way back then. We see it exactly as it's described.
Now, just as God, just as God it, it can bring mountains of snow and torrents of rain and ferocious winds, he can also bring hot, dry air. Look at uh, verses, uh, verse 17. He says, why are your garments hot when he quiets the earth by the south wind? With him, uh, with him have you spread out the skies strong as a cast metal mirror. So God can bring hot, dry air that turns entire land masses into what? Deserts. They don't get, it, they don't get near enough rainfall. So it just becomes dry and nothing or very few things will grow. There's actually a few kinds of plants and a few kinds of animals that can survive in desert conditions, but most things can't. And the clear humidity and the uh, free air above, it does look like a, a clear, smooth mirror, doesn't it? It's just as smooth as because there's, there's no moisture in the air. It's just humidity-free. And everyone says it's a, it's, it's a, it's a nice uh, dry air. Yeah, it's like sitting in a hair dryer. That's not really fun. You know, the Arizona, when it gets up to be, you know, the pavement is, you know, 120 don't tell me that, well, it's not a humid air. Well, it's still really hot. And the deserts get much hotter than that. Some of the world's desert regions can soar to 130. They have record temperatures even higher than that. But it's not uncommon for them to be 120, 130 degrees in the daytime. And strangely enough, because the heat escapes quickly at night, they can actually get cool at night. And in most deserts, get there's a huge swing in the temperature. But they get very little uh, rainfall. And finding uh, food and finding water in some desert areas is next to impossible. Some parts of the world, you would die before you found it. It would be impossible. Now God says here in verse 13 through Elihu, he says he causes uh, the, the world's weather that we see, he causes it to come, whether for, look at what it says, verse 13, for correction or for his land or for mercy. Now, I think we would agree that when God's merciful, the kids are playing on the ice, right? But if it's for correction, it could be like Egypt with Pharaoh. Big balls of ice destroying everything. So God can send various types of weather, and he can use the power of his elements to correct, like he did with Egypt, like he did with the flood, like he will again in the tribulation period. Or, he can use the elements to bring a gentle rain, just the right amount of sunshine, and you can have a bumper crop, right? So God, God's in control of all the elements. His power, corn doesn't grow unless God says it grows. America really needs to really be careful and not think that for ever and ever and ever, we will always be the breadbasket of the world. You know, other countries years ago had a lot of growing capacity too, and some of them are deserts today. So God can withhold the rain. He told the children of Israel if they ever turned to idolatry, he would take the rain away. The reason why Israel's reblooming today, and it's amazing how it's reblooming, is God is allowing rain to fall back on the land. And he's allowed them to use irrigation, but he could stop that too. Any of those things can be stopped. The grace and the goodness of God, you know, so many around the world, and certainly in America, we get a lot of grace and goodness, don't we? Still got a lot of farmland. But I also believe 
that God has allowed many things that should serve as warnings for our nation and other nations to consider as power. And when you look at things like, you know, we have wildfires that devour hundreds of homes in California or up in Canada uh, earlier this year, or you look at tornadoes that swept across Alabama and Mississippi a few years back, or you look at the flooding in the three areas that I mentioned, or you look at Katrina a few years back, you look at hurricanes, all of those things, I believe, again and again, God says, come back to me fully, fully as a country, and I can protect you from all of these things. Because it says right here, some of these things are for mercy, some of them are for correction. By the way, if God brings revival through them, that actually is a form of mercy too. If it would turn people back to the Lord. But he wants us to consider his power. He wants us to consider his holiness and to repent. But we seem to accept his grace and we enjoy it, but a lot of times we kind of ignore his correction, don't we? Which brings us to our closing passage right here. Closing passage in verse 22, verses 22 and 24. Uh, before we look at verse 22 and 24, look at verse 14. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. We need to stand still. Uh, if we were here Sunday, I talked, we talked about the throne of God and, and justice and in, um, in justice and righteousness, but also the mercy of God going before his face and the throne of grace. But we also need to stop and just look up and remember God and his power and to open his word and to stop and stand still, as it says here, and consider his wondrous works. Well, the best way to consider his wondrous works after you look and observe his wondrous works is to open his word and which is what we're doing both tonight. And we need the Spirit of God uh, to speak, uh, teach us to speak. Look at verse 19. Teach us what we should say to him, for we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. We need the Spirit of God to teach us to speak. You know, unless God helps us to speak, we'll speak out of our flesh, and there's really nothing good there. The only thing that comes from our flesh is more darkness. Jeremiah the prophet says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who should know it? You know, when you see uh, someone in an interview on a talk show and they say, just follow your heart. No, that's not good advice. You'll see it a lot, right? Just follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Follow the word of God. Have him teach us what we should say, what we should think. Our flesh is full of darkness. And of course, it says uh, we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. We know there's a lot of darkness in this world around us. Look at verse 21 even. He says, even now, men cannot look at the light when it's bright in the sky. You know what this tells us? Elihu's reminding us how incredibly weak we are. God's like, you can't even stare at the sun for a couple of seconds and all of a sudden you'd walk into a wall. True? Don't go try this. It's A, it's really bad for your eyes to do it. Do not stare at the sun. It's bad for your retinas horrible for your eye, but not only will you not be able to see, you really will walk into things. So God says, get a, get a grip. Understand you're incredibly weak. You can't even look at the sun for a second, and Jesus says that he is far brighter than the sun. So God's just trying to remind you, look, you can't even look at the sun for a second. I have to wear sunglasses all the time. I don't even like to look like this angle, much less directly at the sun, because we're really, really weak. That's what Elihu's saying. Man can't even look at the sun for a couple of seconds. 
And when the wind is, and when the clouds remove, he has to turn away. Verses 22 through 24, he comes from the north as golden splendor. With God is awesome majesty. As for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power and judgment and abundant justice. We actually see some of the same wording here that we saw um, in Psalm 89. There's that uh, justice again, judgment and justice. He does not oppress. Everything God does is for right reasons, good reasons, righteous reasons, merciful reasons. Therefore, men fear him, or men definitely should fear him. Amen? Verse 24, he shows no partiality to all who are wise in heart. If all of us fear the Lord, God loves us equally. doesn't love any one of us more, but he would counsel all of us to wisely look up and understand his power. You know, our God really is an awesome God, isn't he? Everything you see is just the mere edges of his ways. Just a little bit of a, it's just like, you know, he's, He's just given a tiny, everything we can see, even NASA's you know, you know, pictures from outer space, everything we can possibly see is just a little pinprick of his power. But his little pinprick's a whole lot more than ours. How can we ignore God? He's awesome in majesty, says right here. He's almighty. He's excellent in power. He doesn't oppress. He's not unjust. And he uses wonders, his wonders to turn us to him. And those who are wise will fear him and follow him. And I'll close with this. When you look at God's power, as a reminder, it really is true, if God is for you, who really can be against you? Right? If God has your back, who in the world can be against you? And this is what Elihu was reminding, not only Job, but also of us, that God has enough power for everything we need in life. Amen? We'll close in prayer. Lord, we, we do stand in awe of your power. And we thank you, Lord, for your gracious goodness, Lord. Um, most of us have lived our entire lives not living in some of the world's disasters, and we thank you, Lord, for your, your grace upon us. Lord, I think even tonight of those that are in Italy Many have lost loved ones and entire cities shaken to the ground. Lord, we pray that uh, you would not only um, bring comfort and healing, but Lord, you'd use these things to turn people that don't know you as Lord and Savior to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And not only there, Lord, all across our own country, in West Virginia and Louisiana and Texas, Lord, places where people are, are hope, heartbroken, they've lost their homes. Lord, we pray that you use the body of Christ, use us. Lord, that we'd have compassion and care of these things. Lord, that we know that you're merciful. Your desire is that none would perish, not even one. But Lord, we pray that we would look up to your throne, but we'd also look at your power all around us, and ultimately we'd look in your word. And Lord, these things would just bring us into your presence where you'd change us and transform us, Lord, because in our flesh nothing good dwells. But Lord, we pray that anything and everything you would use in our life to remind us to keep our mind and our hearts fixed upon you, the author and finisher of our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.